Hi, it's June Sarpong here. You're listening to the podcast version of Project Reset brought to you by Mission Winnow. For future episodes, either subscribe with your usual podcast provider or visit missionwinnow.com. In a few months, the world has rapidly changed. And we have an opportunity to use this moment to reimagine the world we live in forever. Powering transformation through bold thinking, big ideas, and brave action. This is Project Reset. Hello and welcome to another episode of our Mission Winnow Project Reset series. Today we're going to be focusing on the area of mental health. And we're going to be asking the question, are we okay? I'm joined by Laura Winterling, physicist and former astronaut instructor for ESA from 2008 to 2016. Hi Laura, how are you? I'm good, hi, how are you? Good to have you with us. We also have, uh, all the way from the United States of America, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, clinical psychologist and founder of Therapy for Black Girls. Hi Dr. Joy. Hi June, good to see you. And last but by no means least, we have Stefano Volpetti, CCO at Philip Morris International. Hi Stefano, how are you? I'm doing very well. So I want to get into the conversation in terms of the spirit and whether or not we have something similar to the spirit that happened and was around during the Blitz. Do you think that perhaps COVID-19 isn't the disaster we're all seeing it as, and that actually when it comes to mental health, there's something around this collective trauma that we're all going through that means that we have to take ownership of our own mental health? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I don't know that I would say that it's not a disaster. I think, especially in the U.S., it is particularly a disaster. Um, You know, so I do think that we do need to be paying attention to our mental health so we know the numbers of people that we've lost. But I think the collective grief and trauma that we're experiencing is going to be the next wave of concerns that we really need to be paying attention to, particularly for communities of color. We know the death rates have been higher. Um, We are also struggling with lots of police brutality and continuing acts of racism here in the U.S. And so I think our mental health has definitely taken a large hit through COVID-19. And what do you think can be learned? I think the major thing to be learned is the systems that need to be in place to really be able to rebound as a society after you do have a pandemic and the importance of having a plan and actually sticking to the plan. That would help. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What do you think in terms of how we look after our mental health. Is this something that we should be expecting the state to do more around? Or is this something that we should take ownership of ourselves? If I look at it from an astronaut's perspective, and just to be frank, so I'm I'm used to be an astronaut instructor, so I'm also just looking at those guys flying into space. They, They are urged from the very beginning to allocate time and space every day, if it's possible to really sit back and rethink, is this good what I'm doing? Am I missing anything? You know, just rechecking with yourself every day. Uh, Allocate more time for those questions. Um, Personally, I believe it's up to ourselves to make sure we're okay. That said, 
what about the role of the employer? Because we spend far more time at work when we're not in COVID, far more time at the, our place of work than even at home. And now our homes have become our place of work, something that we never intended to happen for the vast majority of us. So surely there's a role for our employers too in making sure that our mental well-being is looked after during this time. Uh, so far you mentioned uh, the personal responsibility, the government, government responsibility, the employer. I, I really believe there is not one or the other. Right. But it's one and the other. And I, I, as everything in life, I think it starts with the personal responsibility. Uh, but for sure, an employer has a huge responsibility. When you run an organization, uh, it is very important to take care of mental health of the employees uh, because we are all human beings. Yeah. And the uh, society of today puts an enormous pressure on all of us. Uh, whether you are Dr. Joy, Laura, or myself, we all have pressure <laughs> We're of different kind, but we do have pressure. We do. And uh, in many ways, it is very normal for an individual to take care of your body, to take care of your appearance. Yeah. But it is almost, quote unquote, a taboo or, or non-intentional effort to take care of your mental health. Yeah. And that shift is to me the important shift that starts, it starts with the individual, it starts on the personal level, but for sure employees, governments do have a role to play into that. Very important role to play. I totally understand. George, and June, if George, I can. Uh, yes, I was about to yes. come back to you, Dr. Joy, because I saw yes. you were like, I've got something to say. <laughs> Please. Yes. yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I do think, and again, I can really only speak from the States because that is what I'm most familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, I have seen employers not do that great of a job, especially right now, taking care of their employees. So instead of showing each other grace and helping employees figure out how they're going to work and school their kids, from home and yeah. take care of, you know, sick loved ones, employers here are looking at how can I install micromanaging uh, software to make sure that you're at your desk or your camera needs to be on when you're on the Zoom calls. And so I think that they don't always think about all of those little things and how that is actually adding to the stress of their yeah. employees. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like in the beginning when we were starting the sheltering in place, there was a lot of all hands on deck, you know, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But as we have eased into these later months, it's it feels like employees... Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, now it's like, okay, well, I still need my productivity tasks to be met and I need you to, you know, kind of be on time and figure out what to do with the kids later. And so, you know, that is a significant impact on mental health, especially as we have had more deaths and other stressors to continue to contend with. And do you think, though, there is also almost like a sort of level of stoicism that's coming out of this too? Almost mm -hmm. like that, like I said earlier, that blitz spirit, is that happening as well? Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, we also have to look at the level of privilege that comes through in a statement like that. Um, yeah. Again, especially in the U.S., we know that black and brown communities have been hit harder. Yeah. And so there's also a level of white supremacy and a, it was hardest hit in those communities. That's not something that I have to deal with. Right. right. So there isn't 
always the same sense of the collective that you see, which then leads to people of color and other, um, you know, my minoritized groups really being pushed to the wayside. And that said, in fact, the whole working from home thing actually is only available to a small section of society yes. that are privileged anyway. Most jobs, right. actually, if you have to be front facing, you're a frontline worker or you're in a lower um, skilled line of work, the luxury of working from home isn't available to you and therefore making you more prone to risk. So if we go further into our responsibility um, question, if we were to have this combined model of looking at the personal in terms of the responsibility that we take for ourselves, what we expect from our policymakers and what we also expect from our employers, what do you think that perfect model would look like in making sure we have the full, whole, well-being of an individual? This is a topic that, first of all, needs a, 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 a raising level of awareness. Yes. For instance, when there is a, a spike of tension related to mental health, that is when, as a, as a person, you take action. So, and when uh, things are dormant or not at the spike level, there's no action. So somehow, to, to me, job number one is uh, really r driving awareness hmm. that taking care of your mental health is equally important as taking care of your body. Yeah. People have mentalized that taking care of their body is normal. Uh, bringing mental health to be at the same level of that uh, I think it's very important. So raising awareness to me is uh, job number one. When you know that there is uh, a task, a job to be done or a, or a problem to be resolved, the fact that you are aware of it uh, is the first important trigger to action. If, if there is a big company and, and now management wants to still go on in the same way as it did pre-COVID, yeah. it's not going to work. No. Time has changed and people are facing different different uh, problems, uh, different hurdles they have to take and, uh, and just different requirements in their lives. So right now, every, each and every one of us has the chance of making it more perfect. I don't say this is the perfect thing, but maybe more perfect than before. Yeah. By asking, it's like, okay, if I am now the manager of a big company or a manager of simply a team and I only have Zoom calls available, I need to ask people, ask them, it's like, I still want you to achieve this. What is the best way that you can do it yeah. under the circumstances you have right now? So by simply asking it a question, somebody else might be able to say, it's like, okay, I do have two kids at home now and I have to take care of my grandmother as well and I can't go shopping, but I could work at different times. And I would feel happy and relaxed with that kind of scheme. So by putting in, just phrasing simple questions and putting in clear communication, it would mm. solve a lot of problems. But just by pushing through like we used to, it, it will not work. So And give people options yeah. because you still want them to work and achieve everything that you, you want to achieve mm -hmm. in your company. Yeah. But you need to ask them how they could do it right now. Taking care of mental health was a, a very important 
responsibility pre-COVID. COVID has just accelerated and magnified the importance of that responsibility. Yeah. I, this is not an act of generosity from the employer or an act of generosity from the company. It's a fundamental responsibility to ensure business continuity and business success. Yes. COVID has created a spike that uh, accelerates that trend. And, and therefore, this becomes a fundamental job uh, for any employer. And we know very, very well that when we do a good job at this, we see it clearly in the employee satisfaction and we see it clearly on the business results. No so this is not generosity. This is a business basic imperative. Business imperative. Yeah, I and completely agree. We've all somehow be become more human yeah. through this. Yeah. I, I mean, you realize that all of a sudden you're not just the worker or that person who does such and such. Yeah. You're just, oh, she's the mom also of yeah. three and, and he, he, he has a family at home. Yeah. And so it's, it's all of a sudden we can relate to each other in a, in a, in a better way. And also we can see it. The whole thing as well, when for those of us that can do our work on Zoom and you see a person's life in a way that you never did before. So it's not just knowing the person is a parent or a carer or whatever. You, you know, you're going to see it because often <laughs> there's an interruption or there's... <laughs> but, but, but also there is, a, there is to me a, a totally different level of empathy. Yes. The, the question, how are you? Mm -hmm. was just a gesture of uh, And greeting. people didn't really want to know the answer. Where uh, now, now, how are you is a good uh, first 10 minutes of any discussion. <laughs> yeah. be because between yourself, your family, the relatives, the friends, what's going on in your country, in your city, uh, it's an important question. Uh, the question, how are you, before COVID and after COVID is to me a totally different question. And it shows... Yes how much more empathy there is. At least I see in the workplace significantly more empathy. If any, this has brought all of us closer from a work environment standpoint, despite we are much more far away than before. Do you think if we're looking at what Stefano said, are we now as a society much more attuned to the suffering of others because of COVID? Yeah, I definitely agree. I do think that, that this has uh, added a level of empathy for people. But I also think that you can't stop there. I think the question has also has to be, well, where was it before? Yes. You know, so so of course, this has accelerated everything. But I do think that it's important to take a moment of reflection to kind of think about like, okay, how was I doing things before? Mm. And is there are there some apologies I need to offer? Wow. Is there something that I can yeah. go back and say, okay, these are our new policies based on everything that I'm aware of now. And I do think, you know, kind of going back and bridging the, a couple of the conversations that we've had, just this idea of kind of people being in your home. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that we always think about like the level of stress that that adds for people. True, um, yes. You know, so, yeah. you know, suppose I don't yeah. live in as nice of a home or, you know, yeah. there are more people than you may expect who live with me, right? Yes. And so as an employee now, you are kind of being required to share all of that in ways that may not always feel very comfortable for people. Yeah. So while I think it has humanized people a lot, I think we also can't, 
you know, again, overlook the privilege it is to think like, oh, they can just see what's on my bookshelf. But, yes. you know, what what else can you not see in people's mm-hmm. backgrounds that they may not want to share with you, nor are they really legally required to share with you, but are being forced to share with you now because we're all on Zoom at the same time? That is such a fantastic point. And, and particularly in an era where house prices are so high for younger employees who are now in flat shares with multiple people. That is something that is so acute for them or even on a more serious note, which again, I was gonna ask uh, your opinion on, for those that are living in abusive households or living in situations that are very difficult in terms of Mm -hmm. their personal lives, it becomes almost untenable to be able to have this kind of interaction through work. And, you know, sadly, we have seen, you know, rates of abuse. We know anytime that there are major stressors like this in terms of unemployment and illness, we do see stress increase then leads to increases in domestic violence cases. So sadly, that is another byproduct of what is happening with COVID-19. And what do you think can be done in those instances as, as, as colleagues, if we sense that there is something perhaps going on with another colleague? What do you think we should be doing or can do? You definitely want to be careful in those kinds of situations because you don't ever want to come across as accusatory um, or like you're blaming someone. But I Mm -hmm. do think it is important to maybe call attention to what you're seeing. So, hey, I've noticed that you've missed the past couple of meetings. I just want to check in to see if everything's okay. Is there any way that I can support you? Um, I think that employers can also do a really good job in terms of making sure that everybody knows what resources are available. Um, So I think you'd be surprised by how many employees don't know they have like an EAP program that would allow them to see a therapist. And so I think especially right now, it's important for people to make sure that um, that their employees are aware of the services that are offered. And I think that it is also you can't you can't knock the idea of how important it is for representation in terms of a workplace. So mm-hmm. for you to be able to hear your CEO or your supervisor talk about the fact that they have a therapist appointment on Tuesdays at two o'clock, I think you would be surprised by how people would say like, oh, wow. Yeah. And because it does, it normalizes the conversation. If the, the boss is doing it, then I can. Yes, yeah. it must be okay to do it. And <laughs> that there is a particular look or a particular reason why somebody has to go to therapy yeah. when really, or that you're especially not weak. again, for doing it, right? Because if, right. if, the, if a quote unquote the strongest person in the organization is opening exactly. up to that, then that you're right gives license to everyone else. In terms of race, we know that mm-hmm. so many issues around race have been exposed during um, this crisis, and many people in society are asking themselves about how they perhaps have been inadvers- inadvertently complicit. Mm -hmm. to um, allowing systemic racism to exist. What are the kinds of healthy conversations that we can have around the issue of race in terms of from those that are from disenfranchised, discriminated groups, underrepresented groups, and those that are from the majority group? How do we have a productive conversation there? 
Yeah. So I think the most important thing that you want to pay attention to in that kind of a conversation is not burdening anybody else with all of your stuff. You know, so while lots of people who are not of color um, may be waking up to these issues, black people and other people of color have been keenly aware of these issues. And so we are even more impacted by. Yes, right. We are more impacted by everything (laughs) that's happening right now. And so the last thing that people want to be bothered with honestly, is, you know, your tears about, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did this or I never was aware. And, you know, that's fine for you to have those experiences, but it may be better for you to talk about that with other white colleagues or with a therapist as opposed to burdening anyone in your workplace or personal friends, um, because it really is adding to the stress and strain yeah, yeah. that people are experiencing And re-triggering right every time as yes. well, particularly with the yes. images that are in the media right now. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. So, Stefano, if I come back to you, um, again, staying on the issue of race and perhaps if I could bring class into it too, as a big employer with lots of people from different backgrounds working for you, how do you think we foster an environment of empathy and care with these issues that are so contentious that often we want to ignore and avoid, but at the same time, seriously impact our mental health. What is most important is to give equal opportunity and equal treatment to everyone. And this is a fundamental responsibility of an employer. And it's a fundamental personal responsibility as a leader of an organization. Uh, because giving those uh, equal opportunities and equal treatment to everyone is uh, a, a, a normal expectation. So uh, that is, to me, the most important uh, first step. The second one, especially in these situations like COVID or like the events we had in the past uh, weeks and months, I think it's extremely important to, to have a dialogue and to humanize mm. uh, these situations. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think... Um, being able to go down to the human level versus uh, staying at the race level or the company level, but being present uh, as a person, as an individual, through dialogue, even in those moments in which we are not uh, physically together, is super important. So, for instance, uh, what Laura was talking about before of uh, having a more frequent communication, having a more frequent dialogue, uh, checking in on people even more often than we do uh, normally, it Mm. becomes uh, a standard practice. If I were to say the amount of personal interaction that I had since lockdown versus pre-lockdown, the personal interaction during lockdown went up because you had a lot of informal situations before lockdown that will lead you to, to a, a personal interaction. Now you really need to plan for a personal yeah. interaction because you don't meet anybody on a virtual corridor or on a virtual coffee. So, but that planning adds intentionality and to me helps to foster a more uh, productive dialogue. In terms of, again, looking at at-risk groups or groups that perhaps are more vulnerable during the COVID crisis. I'd love to get your thoughts on some of the issues that we see around our elderly and the older members of society in terms of isolation. How can we ensure that they are not ghettoized? And of course, they are more at risk um, from uh, COVID infections and, and, and the sort of severe end of the virus. But how can we still make sure that they are still included 
in society. You do start caring more, right? Mm. This empathy level mm -hmm. that Stefano mentioned. It, all of a sudden, what I realized within myself is like, I became a telephone person. I wasn't before. I, I wrote Me emails too. like everyone else. Yes. But all of a sudden, I find myself in March, April, May, uh, sitting down, writing postcards, letters, calling people, calling people I haven't met for years, decades sometimes, mm. just because I know there's nothing else I, I could be doing right now. Yeah. And But I want to keep in touch. So when you ask about how, what we could do, and I don't want to necessarily to say elderly people, but for anyone who is in our vicinity somehow, go and ask that question, like Stefano said, like really go out and and reach Say, out to people. How are you how today? Are and you? actually and actually take time for the answer. Yeah. A lot of people say this this period has given us anxiety and, and grief and and mistrust and, and, and a lot of negativity. How about we look at it from the side if we if we can, if if we have room in our life to we, that we can do that, to look at it from a positive angle. It forced us to slow down. Yes. It forced us to sit at home. Yes. It forced us to actually have nothing else to do than spinning around the question in our minds. The, the place and time where I am right now is this where I want to be. Ooh, that is powerful, Laura. Wow. And and you know why that's so powerful, Laura? Because that's a question that most of us often avoid. It's a question we know we need to answer but we'd rather avoid and completely not go anywhere near. And as you say, in this reset mode, we have no choice. People traveling on a space, like to a space station and living there for a couple of months or even up to a year, every single day, they call home to their families. There is a time slot every day, no matter what, where they get either video or at least audio connection to talk to someone they want to talk to. What that tells me is sometimes we keep ourselves so busy in life that, oh, no, I can't. I can't see you today because I have work or no, I can't. Should I have this project or should child I have this? And everything is so important. But our list, how we organize our priorities, where are friends and family in this? And I hope, you know, looking at it again from a positive, people realized, oh, I should take care of my friends more. Maybe I should take that time to talk to my grandmother. Maybe I should sit down and just call my mom. I know she's annoying. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> let's just talk to her. It's five minutes. Yeah. Because in the time of need, and I think this is what a lot of people have faced, and I did too at a different level, definitely, than other people, we realize I, I, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual social human being hmm. and i really miss human contact yeah i wanted to build on that because please uh, um, please do i relate a lot to what you said because uh, i first make a, a general consideration that is in these moments more than ever we realize how in life there are two things that are absolutely non-disposable that is health and family yeah and reevaluating those two things is a massive enabler of uh, working on mental health. Wow. The, for me personally, if I look at my journey, my uh, 25 years of professional life, uh, 
Stefano 20 years ago and Stefano today is a very different uh, individual when it comes mm. to taking care of mental health because over time I really realize how the two non-disposable things in life, health and family, are absolutely fundamental and creating routines that allow you to make that an integral part of your day-to-day -day life regardless of what happens in the rest of the day. It's a fundamental enabler of uh, mental health. Dr. Joy, if I come to you on this, I think what both uh, Laura and Stefano have touched on is the power of family, the power of community, and obviously the power and the importance of health, whether that's physical or mental. But what they've talked about requires you to have people in your life that are looking out for you. I'm sure you see in your practice on a daily basis, people who don't have that. Mm -hmm. What do we do for those people? Yeah, that's where I think it is incumbent upon us to think about all of the um, like system-wide things that we could have in place to make sure that those people who don't have the benefit of family or a, a strong support system are not left behind. Um, you know, now I think that technology has been incredible in giving people community with other people who are not close by on a different continent, different time zones, like all of those things. And so again, I think that that is one of the ways that technology has really been critical, you know, in different Facebook groups and in Instagram uh, comment sections and all of those things. I've really seen people develop some very strong and real connections with people um, in ways that allow them to check in on one another and hold each other accountable and support one another. You know, on any given day, you can scroll Twitter and find a GoFundMe for like a health care situation or somebody who's in trouble that people are donating to. And so yeah. I think we do have to think about the power that technology has to really develop a strong sense of community as well. And, and to, to go deeper on, the, on that um, topic and, and that point, technology often gets quite a bit of a bad rap in the sense that mm -hmm. we tend to focus on the negative, particularly where social media is concerned. Yeah. But I think what Laura and Stefano touched on, aside from family and, and our need for connection, is also how we create a fairer, kinder society in that actually that connection is about kindness, is about people looking out for one another. What do you think we can do in relation to that? Because I think the COVID crisis has, has shown that we, we yearn for that perhaps in ways we didn't even realize before. Mm -hmm. So I think when you think about it on a large global scale, it can mm -hmm. feel really overwhelming. Yeah. Right? Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> oh how do goodness. we fix this? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think when you bring it down to a smaller level in your small sphere of influence, mm -hmm. looking at the things that you can do in your own circle, in your own apartment building, in your own neighborhood, that would really make a difference and then cause a ripple effect and then encourage yes. other people to do the same in their circles. Yeah. Um, you know, so here we saw a lot of people um, doing grocery shopping and picking up medication for yeah. elderly neighbors who couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, do that mm -hmm. otherwise. Or yeah. um, people hopping on Zoom and doing story time for the kids in the company <laughs> so that mom has a break or dad has a break, right? And so I think, again, thinking about how you can get creative and really making a difference in your own area of influence is where you really should want, you really want to start. 
I love it. It's so good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and I really hope we keep this stuff. Once we come yeah. out the other side, I really hope we keep this stuff. So I'm going to wrap up this wonderful conversation uh, with a question to you all. Um, I'll come to you first, Dr. Joy. Um, and the question is, I suppose, touching on a bit what you've said already, Laura, the question is, are we okay? And if we're not, how can we be okay? Dr. Joy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I largely believe we are not okay. No. Um, and again, especially in the U.S. And I think even throughout this conversation, I'm struck by how the different places we occupy in the world inform much of how we're feeling right now. Yeah. So in the U.S., I think especially for Black people, we are not okay. Um, you know, again, we are continuing to deal with the COVID-19 crisis as well as just so many different stressors related to race and police brutality and all of those kinds of things. And so I think the ways that we become to be okay are to continue to take care of ourselves, but also to hold people accountable. Um, You know, so in terms of government, I think that that means voting in November um, to hopefully change some things. I think that that means paying attention to how police forces are set up and looking at whether those things are actually still sustainable. I think for a lot of people, it does not feel like they are. Um, You know, so I think that being okay means means personally taking care of yourself and your community, but also really kind of forcing the hands of people who can really invoke some systemic change in our society. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dr. Joey. Uh, Stefano? If everyone would take care of their mental health the the same way they take care of their body, I think we'll make significantly more progress. On the personal side, the the way I do it uh, for me is uh, an important routine. I I do it by making sure that every day I do something important for someone else and I do it by not taking things personal. Brilliant. Are we okay? Um, I think it's okay not to be okay. Yes. In a situation. How about that? Not everyone is okay at all times. If if I can draw on what I have learned in, in... my field of work over the last decade, I could I could give some some small insights. Don't close yourself up. Go even if you don't have anyone to talk to. There's always someone. Go and find him or her on social media. As for a given moment, you need to be aware. If you can't change the system right now, we have a label on space station that says "use as is." Use it as it is. Find your way how you can change it and how you would like to change it. Don't fear the change. Just one step at a time. Don't worry. It'll be okay. On that note, what a wonderful way to close this very powerful conversation. Dr. Joy, Stefano and Laura, thank you all very much. Uh, And to all of you uh, who have been watching this conversation, I hope you've taken as much from it as I have. Thanks, everyone. Bye.